It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the Castaways, Liar, Liar, excellent choice, Matt Blaze. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, uh, just join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. By now, I think the whole world knows the name George Santos. I have to tell you, I thought I was done for a little while talking about George Santos. It's just there are certain stories that get too little coverage, and then there are other stories that get too much. And then I encountered a book which was very rare, and I'll tell you about it in just a second. But just to refresh your recollection, George Santos is a congressman from Long Island who apparently made up just about every single aspect of his biography, including uh, some aspects of his Jewish heritage. He indicated that uh, his grandparents had survived the Holocaust and fled the Nazis. Turns out he wasn't even really Jewish. What he was was... Look, uh, as I always joke, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I'm very proud of my, my grandparents' story. My grandfather fleeing uh, Ukraine, fleeing Stalin's persecution, going to, to Belgium, finding refuge there, marrying my grandmother, then fleeing Hitler, going to, to, to Brazil... That's a story of, of, of perseverance. It is a story of perseverance. Unfortunately, just about every syllable in it happens to be completely inaccurate. So recently, I went back and looked at some of my old interviews with George Santos. And uh, John Tobacco and I uh, were interviewing George Santos in May of 2020. And the subject of all things, now George Santos at the time was claiming to be gay, um, of all things, the subject of gay blood donations comes up. Here's a little bit of my conversation with uh, with George Santos from a couple of years ago. Sure. All right. So now you are um, you are openly gay. Yep. Um, which is makes you make you, I think, in in the Congress, the only openly gay Republican in the Congress. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I would be the first. I'm actually the first openly gay Republican candidate endorsed in New York State. So, yeah, wow. uh, that's uh, incredible. He'd be a real trailblazer there. But, um, you know, I forgot as I was asking the question and that I didn't mean to set you up or anything. But okay. uh, in New York, they don't let you donate blood if you're gay. And yep. I've always found that that is um, probably a, a, an undue, uh, probably an unwise restriction, particularly when we're hard up for blood donations and considering the fact that we're screening this blood for all sorts of diseases anyway. Uh, do you share my view that we should allow gay donors to donate? I, I think that the technology is there to screen the blood, as you just said. So I think this segregation is antiquated. It's obsolete, and I don't see any reason for it. Uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, sure, technology wasn't as advanced, and there was a lot of issues with it. And unfortunately, uh, the SEDs were really prominent in the in, in the community. Now, a couple of things there. First, sorry about the uh, the audio, but it was during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic. So we were both on a, a Zoom call, uh, which I just hate. 
Two, um, George Santos was married to a woman, which we did not know at that time. Uh, Three, you know, I was reminded of this yesterday because I got Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a national day of service. You're supposed to be volunteering, doing more. I got 90 text messages, not literally, but figuratively, text messages and emails all reminding me to donate blood, donate blood. Well, I know it's only been 14 days since Congressman Santos has been in office. So far, I have seen nothing from the congressman making it easier for gay folks to donate blood. So it is. I mentioned this because I read a book which was just magnificent. And not because it was short and the perfect book for my ever-shrinking attention span. Did you, you know it's a rare thing when people say they laughed out loud? It's a rare thing that they actually laughed out loud. Do you ever laugh, literally laugh out loud while you're reading a book? Okay. Now imagine you're reading a book where every page makes you laugh out loud. That occurred when I came across the autobiography of George Santos. 750,000 words about me. It is a parody. Uh, It's by Alan Katz. It is phenomenal. Let me just read for you the first sentence of chapter one. I was born at 4.07 a.m. on Tuesday, March 1st. And by the end of that day, they had renamed the hospital George Santos Medical Center and made me chief of staff. Um, it's silly. It's ridiculous. It is hysterical. Let me read you the first sentence of chapter two. And I'm not going to give too much away because we want you to buy the book. When a three-year-old has already run a medical empire and completed nursery school, what's next? Well, for this three-year-old, it was an easy decision. I was accepted into every Ivy League school without even applying. (laughs) Needless to say, uh, when I came across this book, I had to have uh, its author (laughs) on the program. I'm very, very pleased uh, to welcome the author of the autobiography of George Santos, veteran comedy writer, a man who's been nominated for an Emmy at least six times, Alan Katz. Alan, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Well, thank you, Frank. I've never been called magnificent at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> what time are you usually called magnificent? It hasn't happened in, well, weeks, I guess. Uh, Alan, I guess my first question is, nobody even really, uh, most people, I should say, didn't even really know that George Santos was a fraud prior to a month ago. How did you get a book together so quickly that was so clever and played on what we now know is his history of lying. Well, I appreciate that. I I guess I write very fast. And in this case, I had to write really, really fast because he was outlying me at every turn. <laughs> and I had written a few books uh, three years ago called The Liography of Babe Ruth, The Liography of Amelia Earhart, and The Ameliography of, of Thomas Edison. The absolutely untrue, totally made up, 100% fake life story of the world's greatest inventors or, you know, aviators or, or uh, baseball or players. Players, right? And these were for kids to get them to laugh their heads off. And then after they read the book, the last chapter says, OK, now that you know the liography of Babe Ruth, uh, here's a real chapter about him. Go find out more. 
because as an author, as a humorist, what I try to do is to get, in that case, to get kids laugh, to laugh. And I said, well, wait a minute. I've already written entire books of lies. Here's a man who's, you know, seemingly lying with everything he says. So I sat down and I said, well, this won't be a liography. It'll be an autobiography. And it's a parody of what he would have written if he were putting it in print. I, I came across, I haven't read the biography of Thomas Edison, Babe Ruth, and Amelia Earhart yet. I'm, hope, I'm hoping to. But that was precisely my uh, question about how those books, the biography of Thomas Edison, the biography of Babe Ruth, and the biography of Amelia Earhart, differ in style and tone from the autobiography of George Santos. I guess the First and most noticeable difference is the George Santos biography is written as if it was written by him, whereas the other three books were not. For That's exactly right. For example, in Babe Ruth, uh, it says, uh, often if Babe had extra time during visit kids in the hospital, he'd put on a mask and perform a surgery or two, <laughs> whether the patients needed them or not. And because he was a generous guy, he never charged for these operations and even paid out of his own pocket for doctors to replace the parts that Babe had removed for them. A reporter once asked Babe, isn't it hard to remove a kidney or a spleen without a lick of medical training? And Babe said, nah, hitting a fastball 500 feet is hard. Yanking out a appendix is a piece of cake. And then for good measure, he removed the reporter's appendix and had a piece of cake. <laughs> um, so, now, in those cases, it's easy to see how reading some entertaining stories about how some famous historical figures would inspire children to want to learn more. In the case of George Santos, do a lot of children even know who George Santos is? And um, who is the target audience for this George Santos biography? Well, I'm glad you asked that because the biographies are definitely for young readers uh, who like to laugh. The Santos book is clearly, clearly, it's not illustrated. It's just a, it's a short, as you mentioned, it's a short read um, because, you know, how many lives do you need for $2.99? Um, and it's for adults. It's clearly for adults. I have written some other adult humor books. Um, most of my books are for kids, but they all involve either exaggeration or, you know, just plain silliness. We're talking with uh, Alan Katz. If you want to check out some of his books, you can go to alankatzbooks.com. That's uh, one L in Allen, and that's cats with a K. Um, are the lies that are featured in the autobiography of George Santos, are those based on any lies that he's actually told, or are they whole cloth created by you? I would say they're whole cloth created by me. I, you know, I just took obvious public things that, that people would know, you know, for example, NASA, you know, he becomes he joins the astronaut training program and completes the 18th month training in a mere 36 minutes. That's just taking things that exist and exaggerating to the point of of ridiculousness. There are now a whole bunch of people, including a lot of Republicans that are calling on George Santos to step aside. Since you've now got a book out about this, don't you, from your perspective, have to be hoping that he hangs on as long as possible so that you can continue going on radio shows, TV shows, and selling books like this? Well, I certainly wish the man well, but more than that, I wish the country well. And uh, whatever's best for the country, you know, the book the book will be there or not. And uh, I appreciate the question, but I think 
I think we we got to do what's right for America. Now, um, there are – I don't know your politics, and it makes no difference to me, whatever they are. But there are going to be some people that say, look, George Santos, uh, sure, he lied, but he's a Republican. He's going to vote in a Republican way. And there are a whole bunch of Democrats that have lied as well. Uh, Joe Biden uh, with his uh, plagiarism scandals. You have Dick Blumenthal, the stolen valor. And it, it, example exa- after example – and there's going to be – I can already see the critics on social media saying, well, how come this guy is not doing an autobiography of Dick Blumenthal? Why is he highlighting the Republican uh, that's lying? Why are you, Alan? Well, I just think it's it's a current humor target, if you will. You know, it's what the late night hosts are talking about. It's what America is talking about. I have written – I did a comic book many years ago. I did a 32-page comic book. Uh, called uh, Whacked, The Adventures of Tanya Harding and Her Pals. She was (laughs) in the public eye right then, and it's a collector's item comic book. We sold over 100,000 copies in about three weeks. And uh, that's what, you know, satirists and parodyists do. They take what's in the national focus and and look for ways to, uh, to make more, you know, have some more fun with it. If uh, people are interested in getting the autobiography of George Santos, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, it's in the uh, you have to spell it right, but it's in the Kindle uh, store and in, in the app store. As I say, two ninety nine. It is a short read, um, but I think it's one uh, you were so kind to say that. It made you laugh out loud, and that that's my goal. That that was very nice to hear. Oh uh, no, it's uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely hysterical. I, I particularly enjoyed the por- portion of Chapter 3 where you write, Not many people know this about me, but it's time to tell the world that I am quite an underappreciated song and dance man. And then goes uh, and begins uh, how his career began in first grade and continued with a great uh, performance of, of Funny Girl. It's absolutely terrific. And, and Alan, just so folks know a little bit about your background, you have been an Emmy-nominated writer for The Rosie O'Donnell Show, for The Tony Danza Show, The Grammy Awards, The Tony Awards. How, um, how did you get your start in terms of humor writing? What was the first thing that you did? First thing that I did, I, I did a lot of sales meetings and trade shows. There used to be a very, very healthy um, Broadway-style you know, career for writers to, to take a product. I've written for Pepsi, for IBM, and these trade shows starring equity casts would go around the country. So I wrote for those. Um, my first TV work was for Kids or People too, back with Bob McAllister, who oh, I love host, that. hosted Wonderama, and he was one of my dear, dear friends. And yes, I am a six-time daytime Emmy loser uh, for the Rosie O'Donnell show and and some animated series. And uh, it's it's all, you know, listen, doing a show like the Rosie O'Donnell show where every day at 10 a.m. the curtain went up, very similar to what you do. It's, it's making the donuts every single day. And as a writer, there's nothing better than to see, you know, the fruits of your labor go nationally every day. When you do something like the Rosie O'Donnell show or the Tony Danza show, so much of the conversation between Rosie and a guest, between Tony and a guest, 
it so often looks like it's uh, like it's organic and it's just a naturally flowing conversation. Take us behind the curtain a little bit. How much of a conversation that we're seeing between a host like Rosie or Tony and a guest is scripted and how much is just a natural byproduct of their conversation? I would say it's 97 percent spontaneous based on some pre pre-existing notes and topics that they want to cover. Uh, what I wrote was a lot of the games that Rosie played with or Tony played with guests. Uh, Rosie did a parody song almost every day. And uh, I was one of the few writers to to be doing those. You know, we, I'd wake up in the morning, take the train from Connecticut to New York, read seven newspapers, find out what was going on in the world. And by 10 a.m. she had a song to sing. And of course, that was pre-scripted. And uh, it was just a joy. It was five years of of amazingness. And I also worked with her on the show in Chicago. Uh, she did a show for the Oprah Network in 2011, 2012. When you are scanning through the newspapers in anticipation of writing a song parody, do you already have a the, the tune of a song that you're going to satirize in your head and you're looking for a story that's going to fit that song and then the lyrics or does the uh, does the song come to you after you've selected the story that you're going to satirize? The latter. I, I you know, there are times where um, if she wants to talk about, I don't know, Tom Cruise, you know, she's saying about Tom Cruise a lot. Um, it, it may be that there's a song about, you know, what's in the news or something like that, where you've got a built-in rhyme. But mostly it was just, I, I have, for better or worse, a, an encyclopedic knowledge of 60s, 70s music, of, of Broadway. You know, we were tremendous Broadway fans there. So um, the song would kind of just suggest itself. And Rosie knew them all. Rosie was was brilliant that way. And, uh, you know, to put a song on a teleprompter that she saw in a, a half hour ago or an hour ago for the first time, and then sing it to a nationwide audience or, you know, the first song I ever wrote was for her and Alec Baldwin. Uh, they both came from Massapequa. So it became um, to the tune of Oklahoma, Massapequa exit 40 <laughs> on the Southern state, that kind of thing. I can't sing, but uh, especially at this hour, but um, sometimes they wrote themselves in a sense. Yeah. Uh, people are just tuning in. We're talking with Alan Katz. You could check out the autobiography of George Santos, which is a hysterical parody of uh, the kind of book that you can almost see uh, George Santos writing. Alan, uh, we're in award show season. We just have the Golden Globes. We have the Critics' Choice Awards. I think we got the Screen Actors Guild Awards coming up next week. The Oscar nominations are coming out. Every week, there's two or three award shows from now until March. You've written for two of the biggest, the uh, the Tonys and the, uh, and the Grammys. What, um, in your view, we've seen these award show uh, ratings decline pretty significantly over the years. What is the key to a successful, entertaining awards show? And do you think that part of the reason that these award shows are declining in television viewership is because they are less entertaining? I think that's exactly it. I, I do think that's that's exactly it. I, you know, people always, no matter who's hosting the Oscars, people always say, well, it's not the same as when Billy Crystal did it. And, you know, it's it's not enough to have a handful of jokes or, you know, a teleprompter full of jokes. He, he worked that, he worked the room. He, uh, uh, very different than, than who's doing it today with all due respect. Cause it's a hard job. There's no question. It's a hard job. 
But the the who that's doing it today, where it might be lacking as compared to previous years, it's the folks delivering the material, not necessarily the writers or the producers, or is it both? I would never blame a writer. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, we had we had a, a lot of fun writing, notably the the Grammy Awards, because Ro- Rosie had a full audience full of people to talk to and talk at. I remember there was a joke. She looked at the uh, the, the audience that said. Looked at the audience and said, "Wow, their share. She's so old these days. She calls everybody Sonny." <laughs> and it just, you know, it was it was widely quoted the next day. And I think, you know, maybe that there's too much media too, and everybody's everybody's sitting on a perch ready to pounce. You know, maybe we enjoyed it more because it's all we knew. I have read uh, that uh, your favorite food is a cantaloupe. Is that true, or is that just a funny thing to say? No, it's true for a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the only fruits I'm not allergic to. I became allergic to most fruits about 10 years ago, uh, out of the blue. And when I do school visits, I visit schools all around the country uh, with my kids' books. And uh, they always say, what's your favorite food? What can we, you know, so I put that on my website just as a, uh, you know, and I, when I visit schools, there's more cantaloupe than, than a human should be allowed to, to be around. Uh, they do that all the time. Well, I, I uh, congratulate you on the new book. I hope a lot of people check it out. Tell people again how they can get it. Uh, two ninety nine, the autobiography of George Santos. Exactly, it's on the Kindle store. The autobiography. Autobiography is one word. Um, with you know, it's like autobiography, but put the word L I E instead of B I, and uh, it'll be there for two ninety nine. Will uh, there be a print version of this book as well? Or are you sticking to the digital world? You know, I, there people have asked that, but I think a print version of a book this short would probably look like a gum wrapper. <laughs> Fair enough. So if 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 there's a demand, you know, then uh, then I'll we can turn it into a book because Amazon has that kind of you know that's the other thing. Ten, twelve, fifteen years ago, you couldn't have written this book and had it be anything but a magazine article. But now, you know, thanks to things like like the Kindle store, you can, you can do this. Although I do recommend anybody who's going to buy a book at any time, do it at an independent bookstore because they sh- certainly need our support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Alan Katz, thanks very much. Enjoy the conversation. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much, Frank. If you want to comment on any portion of the conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I'll just leave you with this beginning of chapter five in this book, which is really just so enjoyable. You, you could read the whole book in 15 minutes at most, right? It's, it's a quick read. Back to my favorite subject, me. In Chapter 3, I was 8. And a year later, as an 11-year-old, I sang the Star-Spangled Banner at the Super Bowl. It's hysterical. It's funny. It's silly. It's wonderful. The autobiography of George Santos. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.